0: Now, let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's go ahead and pray here before we get started. Father, it occurred to me as we were singing it as well with our soul that it is only well because you make all things well. And it is such a joy, it is such a, an honor to be here together with our brothers and our sisters to worship you, singing it as well. There are many things that many of us have on our minds this morning, saying, well, it's, it's not completely well. So, Father, we lay those things that are bothering us, those things that trouble us, we lay these things at the foot of the cross, and we continue our time now of worshiping you by opening up your word so we can understand, uh, well, it it goes perfect with with your scripture today, the, the glory and the suffering of Almighty God. So those things that are not well in our lives, Lord God, please give us a deeper understanding of of why they are not or, or why they are. For those of us who are in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of some type of health crisis or financial crisis or relational crisis, May we walk away here knowing that you know exactly where we are. For those of us who have come out of a season and things are much better than they were last year or a few months away, we want to praise you for those things. And then for those of us that are going into a season right now, Lord God, we just cling to you. We just cling to you knowing that it will be well. So, Lord, speak to us this morning. Show us the deep things in your word. Write these things on our heart and and let us share them with those around us this week. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen Amen and amen. Well, we are continuing our series in the Gospel of Mark. We are in Mark chapter 9, verses 9 through 13 today. If you go ahead and turn there, and as you do that, let me review from last Sunday. The Holy Spirit of Almighty God, he, he taught us about the transfiguration of Jesus Christ, and we learned that the transfiguration was not a change in Jesus' spiritual nature, but an outward transformation of his physical appearance. And that Outward physical appearance, it reflected, it demonstrated his spiritual nature, his deity. Peter, James, and John, they were with Jesus during that transfiguration, and they experienced three miracles back-to-back here that no other human could ever have ever conceived of or dreamed of. So let's take a look at these. Number one, they witnessed the Son of Man physically transform into the Son of God. Number two, they met Moses. They met Elijah. Number three, they were immersed in the cloud, the Shekinah glory of Almighty God, and they heard his voice. And then we got real practical with the word of God, and we focused on discipleship, and we answered the question, how do these miracles that Peter, James, and John, how do they impact us today? and we looked at how discipleship is just as much about unlearning things as it is learning. Number 2, that descending from a mountaintop experience is a test of our faith. It's a test of our spiritual life. And number 3, how mountaintop experiences, they are not necessarily meant to teach us something, but primarily to make us something. And that really sets us up for today's scripture passage, because every mountaintop experience has an ending. And today we're going to watch how Peter, James, and John, how they cope with these three miracles that they just experienced as they walked down the mountain. And then lastly, we're going to ask the same question as we did last week. How does all of this impact our lives today as disciples of Jesus? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Mark chapter 9, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to start in verse 2 to give us the full context from last Sunday. After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John, and he led them up a high mountain by themselves to be alone, and he was transfigured in front of them. His clothes became dazzling, extremely white, as no launderer on earth would whiten them. And Elijah appeared to them with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it's good for us to be here. Let's set up three shelters, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And because he didn't know what else to say, since they were terrified. And then a cloud appeared overshadowing them, and a voice came from the cloud that said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. They kept this word to themselves, questioning what rising from the dead means. And then they asked him, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Elijah does come first and restore all things, Jesus said. Why then is it written that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? But I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. And these are the very words of Almighty God for us this morning. Please have a seat. Thank you. Let's take a deeper look here at verse 9. As they were coming down the mountain, he ordered them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. So last Sunday, we, we discussed how hiking up Mount Hermon took most of the day, so it is with the descent Peter, James, and John, they've got plenty of stuff to talk about um, as they walk down this mountain. So just picture Jesus leading the way here down Mount Hermon and listening to this conversation. And and can't you just see Peter saying, guys, man, I can't wait to tell Nathaniel about the light. I can't wait to to tell him about this. And James, James says, I know. I know, I know, I can't wait to tell everybody I met Moses. I met Moses, man. And John, little Johnny, James's brother, pipes in. He says, yeah, but what about Elijah? Hey, 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 do you think Andrew, do you think Philip's going to believe any of this? Jesus, obviously, he's hearing this whole conversation. And he says, all right, guys, come here, come here. Sorry, but you're going to have to zip it for the next six months or so. And the reason Jesus tells them, that he commands them, you can't share this with anybody, is because he's about six months from Calvary. Jesus is six months from accomplishing his mission. He doesn't want anyone or anything to get in the way of the cross. He doesn't want them talking about the transfiguration here because he doesn't want them, and this is key, to preach an incomplete gospel because they don't know what this rising from the dead stuff means yet. The central truth of the gospel is the death and it's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The gospel is not what the prosperity preachers, it's not what the social preachers are preaching on YouTube. That's not the gospel. In other words, the gospel of Jesus is it's not about your health, it's not about your wealth, it's not about your your happiness. That's not what the gospel is. The gospel of Jesus Christ is about your salvation. It's eternal life or eternal death. That's the key. And these guys, they don't understand that yet. The gospel is about Jesus paying your sin debt. And he has to pay it with with his own blood. Because we can't pay it on our own. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, the word of God says, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. So there is no forgiveness. There's no being made right with God unless Jesus goes to Calvary. So moving on to verse 10 here. So they kept this word to themselves. So Peter, James, and John, they, they, they're not telling anybody else about this, but they discuss it among themselves. They kept asking, what's this rising from the dead stuff? What's what's that mean? So even though Jesus has told them about the resurrection, it still has not sunk in yet. And because they still can't comprehend why Jesus must suffer, why he must die, why he must be resurrected, it means that they, they certainly can't explain it. So Jesus orders them to keep quiet. Now, verse 10 should be incredibly encouraging to us. Jesus didn't choose the 12 disciples because they're seminary graduates or because they have a superior morality to themselves or, or some type of unique ability um, that's different from, any, from everyone else. The, the 12 disciples, they are just as flawed, they are just as proud, they are just as ignorant as we are. Jesus called the 12 simply because he wanted to. He's the one that chose them. Just like he chose you. If you have responded to his choosing, right? Meaning that you have called on the name of the Lord. You have um, repented from your sins. And you believe. And here's the other key is that you believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So you know that you're chosen when you have responded to his choosing. Now, Peter, James, and John, so they're stumped. They don't understand this rising from the dead just like we would be stumped if we were there. And they've got, you know, they've been brought up with a certain understanding of the Messiah. So let's take a deeper look here at what the disciples have been taught since childhood. Their understanding of the Messiah comes specifically from the Old Testament book of Malachi. So let's look at, at Malachi here. Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. I am going to send my messenger, and he's going to clear the way before me. And then the last two verses in the Old Testament Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. I am sending you the prophet Elijah. Okay, so now we know that the messenger is just not a messenger, that is Elijah. Before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. Verse 6, Elijah's preaching will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and their hearts of children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So this is the last thing that God said to the Jews for 400 years. 400 years. It's known as the time of silence. Silence. So these verses in Malachi, this is what Peter, James, and John, it's what they're still believing. And that's a problem. Because Jesus is expanding on on what they already know. And it's not so much that Jesus' expansion here is different. It's that the disciples, they're not accepting it. They're not receiving it. It's change. And they want to change as much as y'all want to change. Change. Don't leave me up here like that. I know you guys don't want to change. Jesus teaches the disciples repeatedly that the Messiah is going to suffer, he's going to die, and he's going to be resurrected. But the, the, the disciples, they push back on him over and over and over. Jesus, come on. Haven't you read the, the Old Testament? Here, let, let me show you Malachi. Look at Malachi. It says Elijah's supposed to show up first, and Elijah's not here. Let me show you Malachi chapter 4. They're just like us, and, and they all have the same attitude. Jesus, this is not going to happen to you, because you know what? This is what we believed all of our life, and how dare you come from heaven to try to change our beliefs? A little sermon and a sermon about change. Jesus said this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 37, he said, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the new wine is going to burst the skin, it's going to spill everywhere, and the skin is going to be ruined as well. He says, no, new wine is put into fresh wineskins. And verse 39 is key. And no one, after drinking old wine, wants new, because he says the old is better. The old's better. It's more flavorful. It tastes better, Dustin. Come on. Who wants the new who wants the new wine? So, in other words, the disciples have drunk the old wine, and Jesus is asking them to taste the new. Regardless, Peter, James, and John, they, they did as Jesus said. They're not telling anybody about the transfiguration. They keep talking about it about themselves. But if you are one of the disciples at this moment, and you're walking down this mountain with Jesus, and you just witnessed everything. Um, from last Sunday, the Transfiguration, and you have been brought up with the Old Testament, you know the book of Malachi, what kind of questions would you have? Peter is probably asking, well, is Jesus speaking in a parable? Is this rising from the stuff? Is he being hyperbolic here? James, he says, you know, if Jesus is going to rise again, why would he choose to suffer in the first place? Why is he going to die? Little John says, you know, how is it possible for Almighty God, the supreme being of the universe, to die anyway? How is that even possible? How is he going to physically raise himself from the dead? This is crazy. So as they're hiking down the mountain, probably hours of discussing discussing issues like this, they finally ask Jesus a question in verse 11. Jesus, why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? Ah, it's a question about Elijah. Who they just met, by the way. They just met Elijah. It's not about the resurrection. They, They probably... They probably didn't want to ask a question about the resurrection because they didn't want to get yelled at again. So they're going to ask this profound, deep theological question, right? I mean, God's word, it does say that Elijah comes first. Elijah has to clear the way, correct? Because that's what scripture says. Elijah's got to clear the way. And that's what Malachi says. So. Notice here that the disciples, they are absolutely convinced that Jesus is the Messiah. No doubt about that. But where's Elijah? I mean, they just met him. Was that it? Elijah came? They were the only ones who got to see him? No, that that can't be right. And then not only that, but according to to Jewish tradition, not scripture, but Elijah had some specific things that he was going to do to prepare the way of the Lord. So their question is a really good one. It's based on an accurate understanding of the Old Testament. Peter, James, and John, they know kings were preceded by a messenger. And this messenger was responsible for making sure that everything was prepared for the king's arrival. So the disciples, they're asking a solid biblical question here based on Malachi. Chapter 4, verse 5. I am going to send you the prophet Elijah. So how could Jesus speak about his own death and then if Elijah hasn't come first? Because he is the messenger. Elijah is the messenger for Jesus. So in other words, how is it possible to reconcile both of these things? Elijah's, uh, Elijah's prophecy and then all the things that Jesus is, is, is teaching, the new wine. Well, let's let's look at verse 12 here. Elijah does come and he does come first and he restores all things. So Jesus affirms that Elijah has already come. So the disciples they are theologically correct but they just they don't understand this stuff practically. So they're still confused just like you and I would be. And then Jesus goes on, he asks his he asks his own question here. Verse 12. Why then is it why is it written that the son of man must suffer many things and be treated with contempt? The Gospel of Matthew gives us more detail, Matthew 17, verse 11. Jesus says, Elijah is coming, and he is going to restore everything. But I tell you, Elijah has already come. They didn't recognize him. On the contrary, they they did whatever they pleased to him. And in the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Well, that, that clears everything up, doesn't it? No, what do you? Jesus, what? Elijah's coming and Elijah has already come. So either Elijah has come or he hasn't, correct? I mean Jesus, you're talking out both sides of your mouth. Which one is it? I'm so confused. What's Jesus talking about? Well, Jesus's expansion of the Old Testament is is that the coming of Elijah, are two separate events. These are two separate events. It's like Jesus is asking the the disciples here, how can I be the Messiah if I first don't suffer and die and be resurrected, just like the Old Testament predicted? Because that's what Scripture says too right? Psalm 22, Isaiah 53. I've got to fulfill those things too. You guys are looking hard at at Malachi, but there's also these other texts in the Old Testament that must be fulfilled too. So Malachi didn't promise that Elijah would appear before the first coming because Jesus is already there. So, ah, it must be the second. Elijah must be the messenger for the second coming. So, This is why the Jews are so confused. Their timing is off. They're they're looking for this conquering Messiah. Jesus is not the conquering Messiah, not yet, not yet. And if Elijah came before the first coming, it would mean that the Old Testament prophecies about his suffering, about his death, about his resurrection would not be fulfilled. And dear friends, that's not good. That's a problem. So Jesus is teaching the disciples this. He's teaching them new wine. Elijah is coming in two stages. Number one, the Messiah comes first to suffer, to die, and to be resurrected. That's stage one. And stage two, it's sometime later. So here we are 2,021 years later. Sometime later, Elijah will come back, and he's, he's going to arrive to announce Jesus' second arrival. So it's like the disciples, they still see Jesus as a walking tree. Remember Mark chapter 8, verse 22? So what he does is he gives them a second touch. Verse 13, I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him, just as it is written about him. So all of a sudden, a light bulb goes on, right? Bing! Ah, Matthew 17, 13, then, then the disciples understood that he had spoken to them about John the Baptist. So key point number one for us, John the Baptist introduces the suffering Messiah, while Elijah introduces the conquering Messiah. John the Baptist introduces the suffering Messiah on his first visit and then while elijah introduces the conquering messiah on the second so john the baptizer he's a shadow he is a type he is a figure of elijah so can't you just picture james and john these two are brothers you know their nickname the sons of thunder how do you think he got they jesus gave them that nickname these guys are trouble So can't you just imagine James slapping John right side the head? Man, how did we miss this? How did we miss it? Of course, Elijah and John the Baptist, they they dressed the same, they preached the same. And John's like, man, looks over at Peter. What do you think, Peter? How did we miss it? Peter starts to think and he says, remember when Mary told us about the angel that appeared to Zechariah, John the Baptist's daddy. Remember that story? Luke chapter 1, verse 17, the angel says, John the Baptist is going to go before him. That's Jesus the Messiah. And he's going to do so in the spirit and the power of Elijah. And he's going to turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous and to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. You say, wow, that sounds like a paraphrase of Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. It absolutely is. So the disciples, they missed all of this, and they keep missing it because they preferred the old wine. So they remembered the prophecy, but they couldn't make sense of it. And these guys were obsessed with Jesus being a conquering Messiah. Their sole focus here was on the glory of God. And what that did is it kept them from not understanding the suffering of God. So back to verse 13. I tell you that Elijah has come, and they did whatever they pleased to him. So what's Jesus talking about there? Well, Elijah's suffering, it took place when a woman, her name was Jezebel, tried to kill him, 1 Kings chapter 19. She failed, but the Jezebel of the first century, her name was Herodias, you guys remember her? Talked a lot about her. She succeeded. So Herodias outfoxed the fox himself, the so-called King Herod, King Herod Antipas, Um had John the Baptist murdered. So Jesus, it's very interesting here, Jesus sees John the Baptist's death as a biblical fulfillment to Elijah's suffering. So Jesus is teaching the disciples here a very clear pattern. You've got the Old Testament prophets. They suffered and some of them died, and now the Son of God is going to suffer and and he's going to die, and the disciples are like, wait, wait. I don't like where this is going at all, because if you're saying that the Old Testament prophets are going to suffer and die, you're saying the Son of Man, the Jesus, is going to suffer and die, then yes, the disciples of Jesus are also going to suffer and die. So from a theological perspective here, to see Jesus in his glory, we must see how glory fuses, how it merges with suffering. Because if we don't see how the glory of Jesus and the suffering of Jesus are two sides of the same coin, then we're going to have a really hard time understanding our own suffering. So let's let's take a look here. I've got five things I want to show you. On the left-hand side is Jesus' glory. On the right-hand side is Jesus' suffering. So we've got the glory of the transfiguration on the left and the The suffering of Calvary on the right. At the transfiguration, Jesus' glory was in private. At Calvary, Jesus' suffering was a public spectacle. At the transfiguration, Jesus is accompanied by Moses and Elijah. At Calvary, he's accompanied by two thieves, The transfiguration, Jesus' clothes, they glistened in glory. At Calvary, soldiers, they take his clothes and they leave him completely naked and ashamed. At the transfiguration, three male disciples view his glory at close range. At Calvary, three female disciples view his suffering from a distance. At the Transfiguration, God the Father's voice announces that Jesus is the Son of God. And at Calvary, a Roman soldier does the same. God clearly teaches that there is is no glory without suffering. So how does this impact you guys today? Well, key point number two for us, many in the church today suffer from a form of Bible amnesia. And I'm not just talking those of us here at River. I'm talking the corporate church. Because it's really easy for us to, to remember the parts in Scripture that promise wealth and happiness and glory and, and all of that stuff. And how we, we forget, we refuse to listen to the commands for suffering or even bearing our own cross. It's like we want to skip suffering 101 and move on to glory 404. It's, it's like we want to get a high school diploma and just move right into a doctorate degree. Glory is precisely what the 12 disciples wanted. They wanted all the glory. They want power over demons, Mark chapter 9, verse 28. These 12 they want to be great. Mark chapter 9 verse 34. They want to control others. Mark chapter 10 verse 13. They want to get a reward for following Jesus. Mark chapter 10 verse 28. They want to sit on the left hand and the right side of of Jesus in his glory. Mark chapter 10 verse 37. So the thing that they're missing is that they first must learn to suffer well. we got to learn to suffer well. we got to learn to fall forward. As a disciple of Jesus, guys, this is not your best life now. Regardless of what the TV or the, the famous YouTube preachers are, are telling you. This text from Scripture, it overwhelmingly approves or proves that suffering is going to take place before glory. So really, just like there are two comings of of Jesus, there's the suffering and then there's the glory. We want it the other way around. It's not going to happen that way. So in other words, if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, this current life is as bad as it gets. If you're not, if you're not a disciple, if you're not a believer, this life is as good as it gets. Dear friends, please ponder that. There's there's nothing more important for you than to think about and ponder and understand what God says about salvation. As disciples suffering will change your outlook on suffering suffering will give you it'll give you a peace in the season of terrifying fear because you know that there's a purpose in the suffering it will transform your hopelessness into a hope your sadness into a joy your anger into contentment as disciples, we are to embrace, we are to expect trials. We're not, we're not to run from them. We're not to complain about them. And for those of you who don't understand the gospel yet, you're un, un, what we'd say in the church, unbelievers, right? I pray that this text... Would actually put the fear of God in you so that you can understand that Jesus has come the first time as a Savior to save you. John chapter 3, verse 16, the most famous verse in all the scripture. For God so loved the world, He came, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him, not going to perish. See, Jesus came the first time around to save. It's the second time he comes to judge. Well, next week, we're going to see how this mountaintop experience meets the reality of the world's needs and the world's problems. Because as soon as Peter, James, and John, along with Jesus, they step down off Mount Hermon, bam, they get get slammed with uh, a major, major crisis. If you have any questions about the gospel, if you have any questions about Jesus or this message, there's a prayer room through the foyer to the right there. We'll be back there to pray for you. Uh, please pray with me. So, Father, we would ask that you would please forgive us for our sins. That that our timing many times in our own life is, is also off. That we do want glory before suffering. And it's only through your word and it's through your spirit to where you show us over and over and over again that there is a reason for the suffering. We, we may not understand why. So the question becomes, Lord, are we going to trust you in that? Are we going to cling to you in the suffering? If we don't know how to Suffer well, Lord God. Please put those around us that will provide the hope to learn how, to hang on to you with every bit of strength that we have. Lord, we love you. We do. And this, this is a tough pill to swallow. It's, nobody likes to talk about suffering. No one wants to believe that, that you had to suffer of all people, Lord Jesus. But you did. And as disciples, that means we too, we, we will suffer as well. Lord, we love you. We thank you. What a joy it is to be here with our brothers and our sisters. And now, as we leave this place and we go back out into the world, may we have a different perspective on your suffering and your glory. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.